Well, good morning. Let me uh, pray for us as we begin. Father, we gather together, and we need you to meet us here. Some of us maybe are feeling overwhelmed by the past week, feeling anxious about what's ahead of us. Some of us are tired and worn out. Some of us are numb or apathetic. And some of us are longing to learn more about you and hear more about you. I'm wondering if you are true and real. Father, I thank you whatever state we're in, wherever our hearts are and our minds are right now, that you are present, that you are real, and that you can and will meet us by your Spirit, through your Word, and through your Son, Jesus. In your name, amen. Well, today we wrap up our sermon series on the Apostles' Creed. We as a church have looked at this ancient profession of faith that helps us understand what we are to believe about God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about the church, and about our future. This morning we are in the last and final proposition of the Apostles' Creed that we believe in life everlasting. That we believe in eternal life that we believe that God's work in this world and in our lives is not yet complete. Belief in life everlasting can be for us not just a belief in what happens to us when we die, but life everlasting is a belief that there is more to this life than we're experiencing presently. Because, listen, we can't escape the pain and the suffering all around us. There is deep brokenness in our world, in our neighborhoods, in our lives, and in our hearts. It is safe to say that some of you in this room right now are drowning in suffering, sickness, despair. Some of you maybe are barely holding on because of a wound you carry, because of a broken relationship. Some of us in this room have these longings that we've had for some time now. And we don't believe they'll ever be filled. And it's crushing us. All of us can see and hear about the obvious injustice and corruption in our beautiful city, in our nation, and in our world. And all of us, whether you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus or not, can admit that this world is not always good. And in fact, this world is not the way we think it should be. So this topic of life everlasting, the hope of things being made right, I think is a good topic for us to reflect upon. And there are a few options in Scripture that I could have chosen for us to examine together, but I decided to look at this wonderful prophecy of Isaiah. I love this section in Isaiah, not just because of how hopeful and promising these words are that I'm about to read, but I appreciate the context upon which Isaiah is giving these words to the people of God. Isaiah is speaking to a world that is very much like ours. Isaiah is giving to these people words of hope in a time in their life when things are not right and they're longing for things to change. Isaiah is giving his words to a group of people that have returned back from exile. They are no longer captives in Babylon. 
but the homeland that they have come back to is in ruin. The cities and the homes that they had lived in before captivity are destroyed. The people Isaiah is speaking to are people in pain and confusion. They probably had deep questions and deep longings. They are similar to you and I today. So these words are for us as well. Isaiah 65, beginning in verse 17, you can follow along in a Bible, or it's printed in your order of worship, or you can just listen as I read. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall there be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and a sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. This is God's word and is given to us for our good. So I am not much of a runner. I know that might shock some of you, but I don't like running at all. And I know that some of you run, and some of you actually like it. It's not me, but I have run a few races in my life. They have been mostly 5Ks, but they have been races I have run. And the longest I've ever run in my life, the longest race I ever ran, was in Atlanta. Every year on the 4th of July, they put on the world's largest 10K, and it's through the streets of Atlanta called the Peachtree Road Race. And one year, for some reason, I decided to run that race. And so a friend of mine and I were running, and uh, I survived at the beginning of the race. Uh, they have what is known as the Cardiac Hill. It's a hill that just keeps going up and up and up. And we're in the south, so it, there's a lot of hills. And uh, we were near the end of the race, and I see ahead of us a group of people with signs and balloons and cheering us on. I got very excited. I thought I made it. I survived. I got to the end. And I did what I always do in any race I run near the end. I sucked in my gut. I picked up my pace and I acted like I wasn't in pain. So I crossed the finish line looking great. Well, I got to the end and it wasn't the end. In fact, there were signs pointing us to another half mile we had to run to the finish line. And I was crushed. I thought I was going to die. 
My thought of the ending of the race almost killed me. My misunderstanding that there was more left to run is the worst part of that race for sure. I was thinking about that as an illustration to this topic of life everlasting, eternal life that we are looking at this morning. My misunderstanding in the race I ran and the finish line illustrates, I think, how often our misunderstanding of the race of life and the finish line we're looking forward to has deep ramifications for our lives. Some in our world, and maybe in this room today, don't look at the future or really believe there's more to come. Some of us don't ever really think about what happens next. In our mind, what lies before us is dying, then death, then the coffin, then the grave, then the end. This is where we stop in our thinking. We don't like to think about it, or we don't like to imagine that there's more to this life than we have now. And some of us, because of situations in our life, do not feel like there's anything really to hold on to when it comes to this world and our future. The day-to-day grind is all we have. And maybe when you think about the future, the possibility of things changing, you don't like that feeling of despair or disappointment that we feel in this world, so we try to ignore it. Or we think it's up to us to fix the feeling. It's up to us to find something to hope in because it's clearly not God and the future he promises us. I mean, just think about some of the feelings of despair and disappointment you're feeling right now. Maybe you're in a marriage right now that you don't think can make it another year. Maybe already right now you are dreading tomorrow morning and knowing that you have to go back to that work you hate. Maybe right now you are feeling so lonely. You're feeling physically, emotionally, and spiritually spent. Maybe you're not even sure why you are here this morning. But you're pretty sure no one's going to even notice you. Maybe you feel your past life, or maybe it is your present life, is so broken, so dark, so bad, that any talk of hope is a joke. And maybe it's not feelings about you personally. Maybe you are disheartened and disgusted by the injustice that you see in our city and in our world. Maybe you just don't believe there's ever hope for change. What do we do when we have those feelings of deep despair and disappointment? Well, some of us try to just ignore the pain or escape the pain. Some of us just want to run. We daydream so much about change and the hopes that the change will bring something different in our life. So we think about switching jobs all the time. We think about moving all the time. We think about leaving the relationships we're in, the marriages we're in, the church community we're in, because we think if only we go somewhere else, it'll be different and it'll be better. So many of us long for peace, and so we keep running. And then some of us look to things on this earth to try to satisfy or at least numb us to the pain we're feeling whether it be money or possessions or sex 
or those endless distractions that we all find ourselves turning to to get satisfaction from the life we're experiencing, to escape the pain and emptiness. And listen, sometimes those very things do work. But do they last? I believe in order for us to have a hope that will last, in order for us to have perseverance to keep going in a painful, difficult world, we need hope far bigger than these things that let us down often. That's what this amazing section in Isaiah is all about. God is the subject of these sweeping verbs of creation and recreation promised to us in Isaiah 65. God promises to perfectly remake and restore everything. This whole section is brimming with deep delight and satisfaction. God promises to create the new heavens and the new earth. And what we see this means for us is that all will be filled with joy, verse 18. All will be given life, verse 20. All will find security finally, verse 21. All will be given a reward, verse 22. All will be given intimacy, verses 23 and 25. And all will finally have lasting peace, verse 25. Our hope for our future that God promises us is a place of joy and that we will be people of gladness. That's what verse 18 is saying to us here. In fact, we are commanded to be glad and rejoice forever because God has recreated a place and a people of joy. Life everlasting is what every fairy tale envisions. And they lived happily ever after. But brothers and sisters, this is not a fairy tale. This is a promise from God. We are promised a life of joy. Joy with the Lord. Joy with His people. Joy in the ending of frustration, pain, and distress. I mean, hear these words of Isaiah describing this joy to us. No more shall there be heard the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. There is a promise here that no one will be threatened, no one will be at risk, no one will be in jeopardy. Even the children, the most vulnerable members of society, those that we read about and hear about in our city that get gunned down daily, those back then who were probably the most vulnerable members of society, God promises no more shall there be an infant who lives but a few days. This seems so far-fetched. Because of the world we live in is full of weeping and distress and death. We live in a world that is not the way it's supposed to be. I don't think I need to tell you that. We live in a world that is full of pain and hardship. In a world where we lose loved ones and experience deep grief. As a pastor, I do get the privilege to walk alongside folks experiencing deep grief and loss. I never, ever, ever have the right words to say. And I'm not sure if there are the right words to say at that moment. I don't think this passage here or any other passage that talks about hope is what you give right away to someone in grief. I think it's being honest that death is the enemy. Death is not right. Death needs to be defeated. That's what we need to hold to. I do believe that Jesus conquered death and what is promised to us here in Isaiah and elsewhere in Scripture is true. 
But it is hard to see that future when our eyes are full of tears. Our Old Testament reading has this promise from God that one day he will wipe away every tear. I long for that day. I wish it would come today. I don't think this passage here is just a pie-in-the-sky teaching that everything will be okay as long as you believe. I don't think this passage here is just given to us to help us stop being sad and trust God's plan. I like how one commentary I read this week describes these words of hope here. He said, what Isaiah is saying is the life that you've always longed for but has eluded you, the life that you've always wanted but keeps just being out of reach, is coming. Right now, the hope is that God is preparing a life far different than we're experiencing right now for you and for me. May we be women and men who walk alongside each other as we wait for those things that keep eluding us. May we be a community that grieves together, that cries together, and that hopes together. I'm really thankful for our new solace ministry that we have as a church. You're going to hear a little bit more about this ministry during our announcement time. But I'm thankful that we have women and men in our church that are willing just to walk alongside people in pain. I'm thankful that we don't have to have answers to all the pain and suffering that is going on. But we can be present with people that are experiencing that pain and suffering. This is needed for all of us Even if we've never experienced death, even if we've never experienced despair like this, all of us will or have experienced insecurities and the instability of life that comes upon us. We could work really, really, really hard to try to make things okay. And then we get that phone call that rocks our world. We could try to do everything right as a parent. And then we see deep pain and suffering. We could do all the good things that we're told to do as followers of Jesus, and then we could experience a loss that crushes us. In Isaiah's day, the instability was found in the fact that their homes and their vineyards that they had worked on were taken away from them when they were put into captivity. The people of God learned very quickly that there is nothing guaranteed on this earth. Stability and security is never promised to us while we live on this earth. Broken or lost homes, broken or lost work, broken or lost relationships happen all the time. That's why these words of this prophecy are so amazing and hopeful. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. There's a day coming when the work that we do will not be taken away from us. What we create will not fade away What we long for will come to fruition. And not only that, but the broken relationship that we have with God because of sin and rebellion will be truly and completely restored. What an amazing promise God gives his people in verse 24. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Prior to sin and rebellion against God, there was deep intimacy between the Creator God and His creation. But because of sin, that intimacy has been broken. But God promises a renewed, complete, whole relationship with us one day. This is good news. 
And not only that, but the relationship between enemies and foes will be restored completely. Isaiah uses the image in verse 25 of the wolf and the lamb grazing together. Enemies having a meal together and being safe. Shalom, peace will be full and complete and pervasive in the life everlasting to come. The new infrastructure of life everlasting will be marked by true peace, true justice, true righteousness, and true faithfulness. And we believe that this life did begin in Christ. The first fruits of the new life of the life to come is in Christ's death and resurrection, God's new creation of joy and life and security and peace and justice and hope for the whole world was launched when Jesus went out of the tomb. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Corinthian church, makes it clear that anyone who believes in Christ, anyone who is in Christ, is called new creation. If you are a follower of Jesus today, you are part of the new creation people here and now. Now, we are not what we are fully going to be. Our life is still full of brokenness and sin and pain. But one day, one day, we will have true hope and lasting peace and never-ending justice. And until that day comes, we get to be the first fruits of those promised things that God is going to bring. And our future hope and new creation is not only our motivation, but it is our power in our lives to live this truth out presently. The future hope of this passage and of life everlasting moves us into action. The hope of Isaiah 65 can and should move us away from complacency because what we believe about the future should affect how we live today. In the New Testament, there is the longest section on the resurrected life in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul writes a stunning chapter about the hope and the promise of life everlasting because of Jesus. I would encourage you this week to read over that chapter. For 57 verses, Paul talks about the amazing truth of life everlasting, the amazing truth of the resurrection. And how does he end his chapter? Does he say, because of the hope of life everlasting, just hang in there? Because of the hope of the life everlasting, just wait for Jesus to come and destroy this earth and take you into heaven? Now here's what he says. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The future hope found in Paul is found in this passage in Isaiah 65. And the response is for us to abound in the work of the God, of our Lord. Because of the promise of future hope, we can be bold in the work of the Lord, and it will not go away. Because of life everlasting, we can believe that our work, even presently, matters. One of my favorite writings on all of this, probably one of my favorite books of all time, is by N.T. Wright, entitled Surprised by Hope. First time I read that, it, it just opened my eyes to understand a little bit more about life everlasting. I still have a lot more to learn, but I love how he talks about how what we do presently matters greatly because of what we have promised to us. 
There are many quotes I could have quoted from, but listen to this one. What you do in the present, he says, by painting and preaching and singing and sewing and praying and teaching and building hospitals and digging wells and campaigning for justice and writing poems and caring for the needy and loving your neighbor as yourself will last into God's future. He could continue on and on with that, and he could bring up other things we do in this life, even those things that seem mundane or frustrating, they have meaning. And so the vision for the future should make us love and serve in the present. And i got to say, I'm very thankful for how many of you live out this truth in your lives and in this community. There are many of you that serve downstairs every month with our children or volunteer with our youth group. And it is an awesome, beautiful picture of the kingdom of God that encourages me as a parent so much. Those of you that open up your homes to small groups, those of you that walk alongside others and let them enter into your mess and into your brokenness is a beautiful thing and a picture of God's kingdom. The many faithful ushers, those that make coffee every week, the people behind the scenes that welcome new people into this community is a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. Thank you. Those of you that volunteer on our mercy team and on our missions team, our elders and our deacons and our men's and our women's events teams, you do things that matter greatly, not just presently, but for the future. And the many of you that serve outside these walls in the various agencies and places in our city that are reaching the broken and the lost and the needy, you are humbling to me. Thank you for your service and your work for God's kingdom. It matters. And listen, maybe, maybe that's something you want to do. Maybe that's something you long to do and you're not sure where you should go. You're not sure what you should do. I would love to talk to you. I would love to see what gifts and strengths and abilities God has given you because God has given every single one of us in this room gifts that can be used for his kingdom. You are important in God's kingdom. You are very important. And so if you want to figure out ways to serve in our community or ways to serve in this church, man, when those pew pads come by during the announcement time, put your name and email down, mark service. Let's talk. I love that we have so many people with so many gifts in this room that are serving God and others because of the hope of life everlasting. And may this hope of life everlasting move us to long for, to pray for, and promote things that God cares for that will not fade away. Justice, peace, reconciliation, love, mercy. These are things we should be caring for now because these are things that are going to continue in the future. May the kingdom values that God promotes throughout his Bible that will be ultimately fulfilled in the new creation be our desire as we wait for him to make things right. May we as a church and individuals plant vineyards of grace and peace and justice in our neighborhood, in our city, and in our world. May we repent of our complacency and our desire for comfort, and may we turn to God and say, what do you need for me to promote and serve and love you and your people? Our belief, our theology of new creation should spur us on to promote, to pray, and to celebrate that our work on this earth is not in vain. May we live our lives boldly in service to God and to others because we believe 
in life everlasting. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your hope, for your grace, for your love, and for your patience. May we turn to you and worship you and serve you and love you because of all that you've done, all that you've promised us, and all that you will do for all eternity. In your holy name, amen.